Tonight I want to talk to you about setting the stage for the Antichrist. We're looking tonight at Revelation chapter 11. By way of uh, review for, for many of you, let me remind you that the tribulation period is a, is a period of time that, that is going to be seven years in length. By the way, if you need to get up and move so you can see the board, whether you're moving forward or moving from the outside in, please feel free to do that. You're not going to bother us at all. But it's seven times in, in, in length, and uh, this tribulation period will occur after the rapture. Now, a lot of this is going to be summary. You're going to know this, but I, but I think it's good for us to review it. So, seven... This seven-year period of tribulation is going to occur, we hope, don't we? We hope it's going to occur after the rapture, right? That's what, that's what we're, we're, we're hoping for. Now, you, need, you know this, but, but, you know, sometimes I recognize when I'm speaking, when I'm teaching, when I'm preaching, you just need to understand that there are people who are here who have been Christians for 50 years, and there are people who are here who are still trying to figure it out, and they're just getting started with the Lord. And so sometimes it's a challenge to make sure everybody's on the same page, everybody's with you. So if I'm saying things that sound elementary to you, if I'm saying things that you already know, please understand why I'm doing that, because not, not everybody is where you are in your walk with God. So, when we talk about the tribulation period, which we will talk about tonight, at least uh, the first half of it specifically, it's a period of seven years that will occur after the rapture, we believe. Uh, now, the rapture, when is that going to occur? Well, the rapture will occur, or could occur, at any moment. Uh, you know, there, it... it there's no really preparation left for the rapture. It can come suddenly, cataclysmically, quickly. Jesus is going to come. Well, how do we know that? We'll go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. Here's what it says. For the Lord himself, not an angel, but the Lord himself, will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be, what's that next phrase? Called up. Uh, that's where we get the idea, the concept of a rapture. We'll be called up together. We who are still alive and are left will be called up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And so there's, there's going to be at any time, the Lord knows when it is, we don't, but at any time there could be the rapture where the believers are called up into heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there will be this time of seven years of tribulation. Now, with that as a background, what we're going to be talking about tonight and reading about tonight in Revelation chapter 11 will occur, hopefully, after the church is gone and during this time of tribulation. So let's go to Revelation chapter 11. We're going to start reading some things that uh, are uh, pretty amazing. Revelation chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. 
I was given a reed, John is speaking, and John says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod. Uh, think in terms of a long bamboo. Remember, have you seen bamboo growing? These, these long pieces of bamboo. There used to be some that grew right down here on the, on the, uh, the ore property, right out here. Some, some of you have been around, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, just think in terms of a long bamboo-type stick, and that's kind of what was in mind here as far as a measuring rod. They didn't have a 25-foot or a 50-foot measuring tape, okay? So they used these sticks uh, as measuring uh, instruments. John says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it, it has been given to the Gentiles. Uh, they will trample on the holy city for 42 months, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that they will not rain during the time they are prophesying, and they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague, as often as they want. Now, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. This passage of Scripture is speaking of two pivotal events that will occur in the first half of the, of the tribulation. So when we talk about the tribulation, there's going to be... Uh, three and a half years, and then another three and a half years. What we're going to be talking about tonight will, will take place in this first three and a half year period of time. And there's going to be two events that's going to occur during that first three and a half years. And it will all center around Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be the center of the world during that time. It will be the, uh, the storm center of the world during those days. What's going to happen? Well, in this three-and-a-half-year period of time, one of the things that will happen is that the temple will be rebuilt. That's a very, very significant event, that the temple will be rebuilt. Look at verse 1. John was told to go measure the temple of God. Now, if you, if you were to go to Jerusalem today, you would look in vain for that temple. It's just not there. Standing in its place is a building called the Dome of the Rock. Let me show you a picture of what's standing in place of the temple. Uh, it looks a lot better on that picture back there. I don't know why it looks so... That looks good. Can you all turn around and see that? Not sure why that looks so washed out. So... I took that picture in 2000 at the Dome of the Rock. Uh, it was on our first trip to Israel. The Dome of the Rock is the third holiest Muslim shrine in the world, uh, only behind Mecca and Medina. For nearly 2,000 years, Jews and Muslims and Christians have been slaughtered in their attempts to control that area right there. 
been lots of fighting over that piece of that plot of land. In fact, when I went on this first trip to Israel in 2000, right after I got back, just I think maybe two weeks after I got back, uh, a small war broke out because Sharon defiantly marched into the Temple Mount. He went into an area considered Muslim territory, and 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 a small war broke out because of that. So today, there is this Temple Mount, and there in the Temple Mount is the Dome of the Rock, and that dome, that building, is built over a large rock, outcropping of a rock. It's considered to be where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. All right? Not only is there no temple in Jerusalem today, but when John wrote those words, the temple had been destroyed about 25 years. So when God said, I want you to go measure the temple, what was he talking about? So, let's look at it this way. Look at this next slide. Let's see if it shows up. Um, there's three temples that, uh, recorded in the Bible. One is called Solomon's Temple. This is a temple that is pre-exilic. That is, it's a temple that was built prior to the exile. This is the very first temple, a temple that David want, wanted to build, and Solomon, his son, eventually built. Uh, so this is the, uh, the temple that was one day destroyed. And let me get the dates on that for you, because I know lots of you like to write that down. Uh, it was built by Solomon around 960 B.C., 1 Kings 6 is a good reference for that, if you'd like that. It was destroyed in 587 to 586 by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So after that first temple was destroyed, after they go into exile, they come out of exile, and that's why we call that Zerubbabel's temple the post-exilic temple. Uh, it was built after they came out of exile, and Zerubbabel, uh, the governor of that area, was allowed to, to go back, and with the support of the Cyrus, king of Persia, he financed the project by and large, and Zerubbabel built what was called the second temple. Then, about 24 B.C., you see the, the third one, Herod's temple, and I put there, essentially, Herod's temple stood during what we would call New Testament times. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky, so make sure you get this. Herod actually didn't build a temple, he, in essence, refurbished or expanded or renovated Zerubbabel's temple. So he, it was, Herod liked to build things, and rather than tear it down and rebuild it, uh, he, he kind of, I guess we'd call it a makeover. He did a temple makeover. And when he did the temple makeover, he expanded the outer court. And, and he did a lot of work, not him, but he had hired a lot of the stone work. Remember when, when Jesus and his disciples were leaving one day, and they, they brought Jesus' attention to how beautiful everything was, the temple, and Jesus said, listen, you tear this down, and we'll rebuild it in three days. And Of course, he was talking about his body, but they were looking at the temple that Herod built. They were looking at how splendorous it was, how beautiful it was. And so this is called Herod's temple. Though he did not technically build it, uh, he just did more of a renovation, a beautification, if you will. Uh, so in Judaism today, I put a note on the bottom, Herod's temple was a beautification project. Judaism considers there to be only two temples. So when you're talking about prophecy, etc., when people start talking about a third temple, uh, they really, there really were only two temples built so far, okay? A.D. 70, 
Titus from Rome laid siege to Jerusalem. He massacred most of the people, and he completely destroyed Herod's temple. Completely destroyed it. In fact, the only remnant of the second temple is the western wall or the Wailing Wall, uh, which was part of the Temple Mount itself. I think we've got some pictures here. Let me see how they show up. All right, so this is just kind of a diagram. This is a diagram, a drawing of, of Jerusalem. And this would let you see how big the Temple Mount was. Here is the actual temple, all right? Outer courts, etc. Uh, this is the Temple Mount. And this would be the part that Herod expanded uh, and beautified, and as well as some stonework around here. Now, the Wailing Wall, the only thing that's left of Herod's temple. In, in AD 70, Romans came in, they destroyed all of this. Uh, and it's never been rebuilt. And the only thing left is the the bottom part of this wall right here, which is called the Wailing Wall in today's terms. Go to the next slide. Uh, that shows you that Herod's Temple Mount, just kind of another picture of all the components there. Go to the next one. There's a model of what the temple looked like. It's actually a model in Israel. It's a, a huge model. You can walk around the city of Jerusalem. And so that gives you an idea. This is the actual temple here. Again, the outer courts, etc. But that's, that would be considered the actual temple. And then finally... This is the Wailing Wall. This is the, the Western Wall. This is the, the part of the uh, Temple Mount from Herod's day that is still standing today. And Jews and tourists, but primarily Jews, come here uh, to, to pray because that, that is considered for the Jews the most holy site uh, in Jerusalem because it's their link to their past. It's their link to the temple. All right, I think that's the last picture. Is that right? Okay, thank you. All right. So what is this temple? If you go to Jerusalem today and there is no temple standing there, what is this temple that John is told to measure and where did it come from? I believe John is speaking about the third temple that the Jews will rebuild in the last day. God was giving John a vision of the third temple that would be rebuilt. You know, Daniel prophesied that a covenant would be signed between the Antichrist and the Jewish people. I want, you, I want to have you help me here. I need this side, these two sections. I need, some, I need everybody on this side to read Daniel chapter 9, verse, or find Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. I need people over on this side uh, to find 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4. Daniel 9:27 and over here to my right 2 Thessalonians 2 1 through 4 All right bless you All right Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 could somebody read that good and loud for us Daniel 9:27 Thank you. Notice in verse 27, He will confirm a covenant with many 
for one seven. And in the middle of the seven. And in the middle of the seven. Everybody look up here. Thank you. <laughs> for one seven. And in the middle of the seven. Here's what he says. Um, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So Daniel's having a prophecy here about the end of times. And now we go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Somebody on my right, could you read verses 1 through 4? Somebody over here. So he sets himself up in God's temple. If you're reading this for the first time, if you're in the church of Thessalonica and you're reading this for the first time, you're thinking, wait a minute, what temple? There is no temple. It's been destroyed. So what temple is he referring to here? Of course, when we put the pieces of the puzzle together in Daniel and, and what Paul wrote in, here in 2 Thessalonians, it seems to indicate that there's going to be another temple, a temple that will indeed be rebuilt. Well, how will this happen? If, if you could go back to the picture of the Dome of the Rock, guys, could, is it possible? I don't know if you're still up there. All right. Thank you. If, let's look up here on the screen. If there's going to be a temple right here. Think about this. When I was there in 2000 in Sharon, all he did was walk into this area that was considered holy Muslim territory under Muslim control. He didn't go in the building. He just walked in this area, and it set off a war. If he set off a war simply by walking in that area, how in the world is there ever going to be built another temple here? The Bible doesn't answer that question for us, as far as I know. Not, not specifically. It doesn't give us the answer to that question. But it's very interesting to know that the Lord said, one day there's going to be a temple built here. Here's where this first three and a half years comes into play in a very important way. I believe that there's, as the Bible teaches, that there will be a covenant made with the Jews by the Antichrist and the, which will allow the temple to be rebuilt. Now, follow me closely. Have you ever wondered why the Jews would ever sign a covenant with the Antichrist? Of course, they won't recognize him as the Antichrist. They won't say, well, I know he's the Antichrist, but, you know, at least we'll get a temple out of it. They're not going to recognize him as that. I can't fully explain that to you, but, but I believe that one of the major reasons that they won't 
recognize him as the Antichrist because he will demonically and deceptively deceive them with the promise that he will provide the three things that they need to have a new temple. He'll provide them with peace, he'll provide them with protection, and he'll provide the provisions that they need to rebuild the temple. And the Jews will say, now at last we have the freedom and the safety that we need to reestablish the temple. Now, of course, if you do any kind of a Google search, you can just search rebuilding the temple, and you're going to read all kinds of stuff. Some of it's crazy. Some of it will be like, what? And some of it may be accurate, I don't know. But, but you know, according to everything that you read, supposedly there are plans now in place for, for the rebuilding of the temple and, and the garments and all those kind of things. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to get into that. I don't know about that stuff. I, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not saying it's good or bad. All I'm saying is this. There is coming a day when the Jews will be so deceived by the Antichrist, they will, they will be deceived by the promise of peace, the promise of protection, the promise of provision that they can rebuild their temple. And they will. They'll make a covenant with the Antichrist. And on the Temple Mount will once again stand... The temple of God. And right in the middle of this tribulation time. Now remember, the church is gone, raptured. It'll be a, it'll be a, a time where all of a sudden everything is, is going crazy after the rapture. The Antichrist will, will arise as a world leader. He will lead the Jews to believe that he can help them rebuild their temple. They'll build the temple. And right in the half of that three and a half year period of time. According to 2 Thessalonians 2, after they've rebuilt the temple, he's going to declare that he is God. The Antichrist will declare that he is God. He'll declare that he is to be worshipped as God. And he will turn on them, he will turn on the Jews with unspeakable persecution. And the last three and a half years is known as the Great Tribulation. This whole seven-year period is known as the Tribulation, but the last three and a half years is known as the Great Tribulation. Jews and the saints of God who have been saved during the Tribulation time will experience the worst persecution the world has ever seen. So, why is John measuring for the temple? Warren Wiersbe, a New Testament scholar, gives us this insight. He says, this is a symbolic action to show that God owns what the Antichrist is about to claim as his own. You know, even today, if you were to go buy a piece of land, uh, before it's yours, it's surveyed, it's measured, before you can claim ownership. In Revelation 13, the Antichrist will begin to use the temple for his own diabolical purposes. We're not far from that in, as we're studying Revelation. He'll begin to use the temple for his own diabolical purposes. And when this happens, or before this happens, God will show us again who really owns the temple, who really owns history, who's really in charge of the world. So, let's look now, if you would, at something that I think is fascinating. Not only is there going to be this rebuilding of the temple, but number two, special, 
special messengers of God will be sent to prophesy to the world. During this time frame, special messengers of God will be sent to prophesy to the world. Now, I need your participation a little bit as we read, going back to Revelation chapter 11. I want to read with you verse 3 through 6. Revelation chapter 11, verse 3 through 6. Here's what it says. And I will give power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now let me stop for a moment and talk about the significance of the number two. In the Old Testament, in the Mosaic Law, it required that two witnesses had to be used to validate something. But one witness was not enough. There had to be two witnesses to validate what was being testified about. In the same way, at the closing curtain of this world, God will send two witnesses to validate the world's sin and the blasphemy that will occur during this tribulation. There's another significance of the number two. Notice how God refers to it in verse 3. He said, uh, and I will give power to, what's that next word? To what? My two witnesses. Satan in the end of time will have his two men as well. The beast and the false prophet. So God has two men. And what a pair they are. He says, let's read the rest of it. He says, and I'll give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. That's going to be what they wear. And these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone, look at this, this is amazing. Verse 5. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. Wouldn't that be nice? Better back off. All right? And then, uh, I lost my place. There it is. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. They have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague that, as often as they want. Now, looking at the text, I want you to tell me how long they will prophesy. How many days, church, will they prophesy? Say, say that a little louder. All right, 1,260 days. All right, let's do a little, let's do a little math. 1,260 days divided by 30 days in a month equals how much? 42. 42 months. Now, take that, that 42. Did you see in verse 2 where it says... But exclude the outer court and do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. Now, if you take that 42 months and you not divide that by 12, how many years do you think that is? Exactly. Have we heard that three and a half year time period already? Sure we have. How long is the tribulation period going to last? Seven years. 
It's going to last for seven years. So these two mighty messengers will preach during the first half of the tribulation. All right, now, now hear that. They're going to preach in the first half, the first three and a half year time. Jerusalem will then be overrun by the Gentiles for 42 months, or the last half of the tribulation. That's in verse 2. And it's in that three and a half year time that the Antichrist will completely turn on the people of God. We've talked about that. So in, in summary fashion, let me help you understand who these two guys are and what they're going to do. And I've given you a place on your notes to write down some things in the blank. Let me describe these two witnesses to you who will be speaking on planet Earth for three and a half years. First of all, these two witnesses are persons. They're, they're persons. I believe these are actual people, that they will not be theologic. This is not a theological statement. These are not angels. This is not symbolic. I believe that these are actual persons. Look at verse 3. Um, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, some say that these two witnesses are symbolic references, that they represent the Old and the New Testament. They represent law, and they represent grace. But they are spoken of as people who wear clothes, who speak, and who die. Someone who wears clothes, they speak, and they die on the streets. That seems to me to be a person. I believe that these two witnesses are two very well-known people. I'm going to let you guess who they are based on what you read in verse 6. It says in verse 6, These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Does that sound like anybody you might know about? Yes. Moses and Elijah. Elijah prayed it would not rain, and it didn't. Moses touched the water, turned the water into blood. And now, I know what you're, some of you are sitting there thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, wouldn't that be strange for Moses and Elijah to come back and testify before the time of tribulation? Isn't that kind of weird? Can I remind you that Moses and Elijah have already come back once before? Uh, look in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, James, and John with him and went up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men. Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor, talking to Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Skip down to verse 33. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I like the way he puts in parentheses in Luke. It says he did not know what he was saying. <laughs> well, you know what he did know? He did know that that was Moses. And he did know that that was Elijah. He recognized them. Now, 
So it's not too strange to think that if they appeared when Jesus was here, that once again they're going to appear at the end of the world. And they're going to be the great witnesses for the Lord in that first three and a half year period of time. So they are people. Yes, ma'am. No, Moses died. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It says, the cool thing about that, it basically says that God buried him. And that nobody, he went up to the mountain. He got to look over into the promised land, and he died on the mountain, and basically God buried him. said nobody knows where he is to this day. Yeah. All right, so they're people. Let me tell you the second way to describe these witnesses. They are prophets. That might be obvious, but, but look at verse 3, verse 6, and verse 10. Verse 3, it says, And I'll give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy. They're not just here to put on a show. They're not just here to, to say, hey, we're, we're back. They're, they will prophesy for 1,260 days, for three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth. Verse 6, uh, these men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during that time, that they are prophesying. And then in verse 10, the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets uh, had tormented those who lived on the earth. These two, they're referred to as prophets there. And we'll talk about what happens there at the end in just a moment. But they are basically calling the nations to repent and turn back to the one true God. For three and a half years, they're calling people to repent. For two and a half, or three and a half years, they're calling the nations to repent and turn back to the one true God. So they are prophets. Number three, they are powerful. Verses 3 through 6, we've already read it, but, but it says that, verse 6, these men have power to shut up the sky. It says that they have power to turn the waters into blood. God will use these men in a, in a great demonstration of power. They will testify on God's behalf. But then I want you to notice, for three and a half years, they will be invincible. Verse 5 and verse 6. What does verse 5 say? Read it and somebody tell me what does verse 5 say? Is it that hard? Yeah. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. In other words, these men, these two witnesses, for those three and a half years, are going to be invincible. Nobody will be able to do anything against them. But, look at the next verse. Now, when they have finished their testimony, that's significant. You might want to write in the column of your notes there. When they have finished their testimony. Now, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. When they have finished their testimony, they will have supernatural power of God. And at the end of that three and a half years, their work will be done they will have set the stage, their work will have, be, will have been done, and the Antichrist will take center stage, and these two witnesses will be killed. So, Pastor, why do they have to be killed? 
Why can't they just go back up to heaven? I don't know. Uh, those, those are some of the questions that we say, Lord, I, I, I'd like to know the answer to that, but we don't know the answer. But apparently we don't need to know the answer, but he is telling us, let me show you how it's going to happen. Three and a half years, they'll be here, they'll be invincible, and then when I'm done with them, when they have finished their testimony, then they will be killed. The Antichrist will take center stage. Somebody has said this, the man of God... Doing the will of God is immortal until he has finished the work God has given him to do. I believe that. The man of God doing the will of God is immortal until, God, until he has finished the work God has given him to do. That's a good word for us to go home on. At the end of the three and a half years, look at, let me flip the board back over. At the end of this first three and a half years, when these two witnesses will be killed, then that last three and a half years, hell will take over on planet Earth. That's what we'll be talking about next time. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, that even in, in this time of the tribulation you still have witnesses you still plan to share uh, the hope that is found the truth that is found in you I pray that if anyone here is not ready for that time that is coming that time that is circled on your calendar that time that only you know the date and I pray once again if anyone is not ready for that day for that time I pray that tonight would be their time of salvation. When they give their heart and surrender their lives to you. And I ask that and praise you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen.